0: Okay then, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, Allahumma salli wa sallim, wa baraka Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma sahla, wa anta potential Hazna idha shaita sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik, ya rabbil Karim As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa So again, dizakumullah khair for... Uh, uh, turning out in such numbers and also, mashallah, turning up on Malaysian time, which is very accurate time. I thought that, you know, I would teach you uh, or treat you, I should say, to some, uh, if Malaysian time is empty, then I'm treating you to PT, which is pack time, alright? So, yeah, which is late, basically. (coughs) So, as I said, that was Part, in part due to myself, in part due to the traffic, and in part due to Sultan Ogum, Abdulaziz, uh whatever his name is, Pingu, squared, whatever. Okay? He was very important. His car was very, very nice, so I know he was a very important guy. He stopped the entire whole, liani, I don't know how many cars he had. He was in a, he was in a, I think he was in a Phantom. And you know what color it was? It, huh? No. Have a guess what color it was? No. No. You see, black is what we would do. Like you know, the rest of the world. My man was busting a bronze-colored phantom. Bronze, yani. Yeah, yeah. I looked. It at us. And all that were in the chopsticks—they were all in the black, yani. Yeah, you know, all the all the, all the spoons behind them were in um, in black and stuff. Anyway, so. Actually, because we are a little bit early on in terms of the recording time, I don't actually know exactly where we stopped. But I can guess, for those who's a first time it is here, uh, because I, I, I doubt that all of you are OLLP students, this is way too many, okay? Um, we are currently on the chapter of wiping the... Uh, uh, well, wiping, actually, is what we're doing. And it's called wiping the socks because when it comes to things that I wiped... The sock is the most obvious, the most common, and the most important of them. And the most useful, of course. And so that's why it's generally called masala wiping over the two leather socks. But of course, as we've been covering the last couple of weeks, and for the next few weeks, uh, you'll see that actually uh, the wipe- wiping itself is restricted, uh, is not just restricted to socks. And so we need to understand what else can be wiped over, and what the, and this, what the rulings are, what the conditions are, and so on. So those of you who have been following will know exactly what we're talking about. Um, so just to, uh, from the, uh, um, we will be covering page today in the actual text itself, page two, and uh, and then moving on over the next few sessions to page three as well. So I can say then that in the, um, on page two, the notes say, during minor ritual impurity, this is a statement of Imam al-Hajawi alayhi rahmatullah. He said, in the text Zad al Mustaqni. he said, During minor ritual impurity, one can wipe over three things, or three, three categories. Number one, leather socks, thick socks, and anything similar to them. Number two, a male's turban, which loops under the neck, or it possesses tails, means it has the tail at the back. And that's what we covered last week. And then this week, number three, female headscarves which wrap around the neck. This is the text of our first session. I'm also going to read to you page three as well of the notes, okay? During major impurity in the Arabic, وَجَبِيرَتٍ لَمْ تَتَجَاوَزْ قَدْرَ الْحَاجَةِ وَلَوْ فِي أَكْبَرٍ إِلَى إِذَا لَبِسَ ذَٰلِكَ كَمَالِ tahara. During major impurity, one can also wipe over a splint that covers the minimum area necessary, only though until it is no longer needed. And all of that, all of what has been mentioned in terms of wiping over the jabira, which is the splint, and over the three categories that we just talked about, which is the socks, male turban, female headscarf. All of this is only to be done after the completion of ritual purification, okay? Or after Kamal al-Tahara, after purification has been completed. Here, it refers to Wudu' but it can also refer to Ghusl if a person is taking Ghusl. We will come back to this point, inshaAllah, and explain it further. So this is the text. With respect to the commentary Sheikh Al-Othaimin, rahmatullah, in his commentary to this text, which is al-Sharh al we are on page two hundred and thirty-eight. That's what I am making. Anyone have a, a, dis- a different a difference of opinion on that? I don't. I don't think. I, I think that's where we are. I'm pretty sure that we ended last week's session. If anyone can remember, basically Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen is putting his opinion forward that when it comes to the wiping over the turban let me quickly summarize that okay the hambali school of the hambali school of thought all right um, there's a lot of difference of, of opinion over wiping over a turban when i'm talking about a turban i want you to think of a proper wrapped up turban and we gave the pictures last week if you saw on the screen and so we are talking something which is normally wrapped okay uh, the word in arabic is imama and imama comes from something which is aslan, which means that it's general and covering a lot of area so it is pretty much taking up the whole area anything which is sitting on top of the head like this or a hat which is called a suwa a hat or kufiya uh, as, as they are known they are they are even referred to in a different sense because they are just so easily kind of placed on top taken off now the madhab, especially the Hanbali school, actually all of the scholars are not, I don't want to say they, they say everyone wipe over your turbans, you know. Uh, it's not something which is coming naturally. The evidences are not hundreds and thousands. It's not like wiping over the socks, alright. And that's why a number of the scholars don't even allow a person to wipe over the, uh, the turban. And they insist that whatever happens, there must be some wiping of the hair as well. And there's basis for that if you remember the hadith that we covered last week we know that the prophet wiped over his forelock which is this part here and the rest of the turban all right and so therefore they said well if you're going to wipe over a turban you're going to have to wipe some part of the head as well some part of the top part of the head carry on wiping over the turban. This is the position of the majority of the, uh, meaning the Shafi'i school, the Hanafi school, and the Maliki school. The Hanabila they said that that's not necessarily a condition, and that's a correct position as well. The evidences suggest that there's no reason to just restrict it, the wiping on the turban, to only when some hair is showing. No, there's no basis for that. And in fact, whether the turban is covering the entire head or not, wiping over the turban is sufficient. Again, the point comes that the principle is is to be maintained. Wiping over the head is the basic principle. And wiping over the turban is not the norm for the Prophet ﷺ. So then the Ulema they said, so what is the reason then that he did wipe over the turban? What is the actual illa? Yes, and this word illa comes back up again, which means what's the Sharia reason? Why does Allah allow this to happen? And the majority of the scholars, they said, is simple. It's because it's so, so difficult taking it off, Right. It's taking, and when I say that, I want you to understand again that we're not talking about the a normal turban, which can be just lifted off and on. The idea was that it's going back in a time to that, to that, to that era, fourteen hundred years ago. A turban was playing a number of roles. Okay, it was there's no AC or fans, and there's no lots of shade and lots of buildings that you can go inside, and it's not like you know. Uh, uh, modern society where most of the time people are inside buildings and not outside uh, previously everyone is outside all the time and there's dust and there's wind and s- sand storms and everything so the turban is protecting your head from getting burnt and so on, protecting your face from getting burnt protecting your, f- your mouth as well from sand etc etc so when a turban was put on, it was really put on like we showed in the pictures last week Wrapped 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 around the neck, around the mouth. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah? Uh, think of a Sudani one, think of the Tuareg, you know the the tribe, the Tuareg tribe, however you can picture it, um that that kind of uh, scenario. Which is why the Hambali school, they even though they allow the wiping over the turban, they put two extra conditions which we mentioned last week. One that it is muhannak, and it means that it comes underneath and like, like this. And the reason for that is because that is how the previous ones were. And it has some kind of tail. Some kind of indication that this is a serious piece of cloth, not that kind of small one. And these are trying to imitate the early Muslim turbans. And they're trying to say that if something's going around the neck, then to undo it around the neck yeah, is going to be a mission. It's going to be a difficulty, so therefore you're allowed to do it. What did Shaykh al mean say? Following Ibn Taymiyyah in this issue, and a number of the contemporary scholars They said that there's no evidence to suggest that this is restricted only to this type of turban. And he also went further and said, also, we should should say that the reason for wiping over the turban cannot exclusively be said that it's because of the difficulty of just taking it off. Just the taking off. Maybe it's because of other difficulties. Maybe it's because of protecting the head, as Sheikh Fahimeen said. That the head sometimes... In, in the external conditions, it will get uh, sweaty, it might get burnt, it might be this, it might be that, you might not be able to tie the turban up very quickly, etc., etc. Now, we might think that's a crazy kind of statement to make, you're only taking it up for 5-10 seconds. But truth be told, if you are in a society or a culture where it's burning down 50 degrees on your head, I don't think anyone even wants that to happen for 5 seconds or 10 seconds and so on. What Sheikh Amin is saying is that, let's not put all the eggs in one basket and say that the illa is only difficulty in taking it off maybe there are other illa as well other reasons for the 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 concession other other reasons for the concession and the the benefit of this statement means that we therefore allow a person to wipe over any type of turban as long as it is a turban now when i say uh, as long as it's a turban i mean a turban which has got something going round and it is heavy and it is firmly attached, but it doesn't have uh, the, the the strap coming underneath, and it doesn't have a tail, then our class position is that it is permissible to wipe over that as well, okay, and the issue on hats, as I mentioned last week it, it is not permissible, and we're going to come to that in maybe two or three sessions time okay, so now we move on to the statement. And on the Khumur of Nisa. Nisa, women mean is the plural of the word Khimar. Khimar is the head scarf. Alright? And so this gives us an opportunity to remind myself and yourself of this important principle, this mistake that we make, which is uh, misunderstanding what actually hijab is, and what a headscarf is, and what a, a veil is, and what... So we have a number of verbs, uh, uh, a number of, uh, uh, not verbs, nouns number of words which describe what we would maybe just refer to all of them as hijab. Okay? What are the words? What do you guys use here? Udo. Udo? <laughs> Udo. Udo. Tudu. Okay. What does Tudu stand for? Covering. covering. That's just covering. Scarf. scarf. Headscarf so that's that's a lot more restricted than just covering like for example what would you call jilbab Jubba, yeah? okay and uh what would you call a headscarf which doesn't cover the bosom area just literally the head would that have a name you just say it's just another type of headscarf right okay <laughs> What, would, what, what do you call the niqab? Purda, which is the same as the Asian parda, okay? The Asians called parda, um, or Urdu, Bengali, Indian, Gujarati, I mean. Uh, parda, for them, um, has a number of different meanings. Parda means the, 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 uh, the scarf itself, uh, meaning any kind of uh, scarf. In parda means curtain. But that also means someone who does complete segregation Meaning covering the face completely Again, it's a word that basically means whatever you want it to mean Depending upon how the people use it And that's important That's really important to understand the fiqh of this discussion Okay? Because even in the English or in the Arabic sense We have a number of words We have the word hijab We have the word niqab We have the word khimar We have the word uh, uh, jilbab We have the word burqa, yeah? And so on and so forth. Now, all of these have some kind of connotation. But all of them have space to be used for something else. Alright? So, the ironic thing is that the word which is used most commonly for all of this doesn't refer to any of them, which is the word hijab. Hijab has no single clothing uh, basis at all. All Alright? And it's a purely Western word. Or maybe a modern Muslim word, actually. Maybe, maybe I'm being unfair to the West. It's maybe a modern Muslim word. Do you guys we have use the word hijab? Do you say that she wears hijab? So, question. Do you say that in English? Like in Malay, do you say she wears hijab? You don't, do you? I I mean, I, I, like I, said, I haven't studied this issue. But I, I, I have a feeling that the word hijab is a Western modern construct. I don't think it has... I mean, it definitely has no basis in Sharia. In Sharia, khimar is what you wear as a headscarf. And when you say the word headscarf, by necessity we are talking something which is covering and coming under the neck, no doubt, so you literally only see the face, no hair, no head, no, uh, and just the edge of the chin, okay? And so this part is all covered, and the neck is absolutely covered, of course, the ears are absolutely covered and the shoulders, this general area, the chest area, this is understood by the word khimar. Alright? The next word, the niqab, is that which covers the face, and what covers the face has different aspects as well. You have that which is strapped to the face, that which comes down over the face, and that which is, is used in a way to cover in this manner, which can be done in the loose cloth. That's why, and the importance of understanding that, although we're not going to cover that today, we're not even going to enter that today. Actually, I didn't even want to enter the topic of hijab, but you know, I might as well, since this is linked to it. Um, when you're making Umrah or Hajj, then we know that it is not permissible for the woman who is muhrima, meaning in ihram, to cover her face. But the covering of the face, there's a difference between something which is permanently covering the face which is in, t- in contact with the face, so it's tied, and then it has, obviously, the slit, and it is tied, and something which is pulled down and dropped over the face, which is dropped and it's, it's loose, and, and that's why you will see some of the uh, the women in uh, uh, from Saudiia, they are able to, uh, because they are, they fear fitna or some reason, they will allow the, the cloth to fall over, and then uh, you will be able to, actually, there's a gap, a defined gap and so it's not actually attached to the face. This is the same as someone coming into the room and you getting your hijab and you putting it across your face. That's the same concept. But what we're doing here is we're just dropping it over. What's not acceptable is to have it on permanent fixed in this manner. Um, there's some concessions to that as well, okay? Uh, for those that uh, fear some kind of fitness etc etc but we're not going to get into that because that's chapter four hajj. The Um, The burqa is understood to be an all-encompassing, all-encompassing dress. This is also a phrase which is very very similar to niqab. And it's only in recent times do people actually consider it to be something different to niqab. If we were going to make it different, then we would say, Okay, even the eyes are covered in that as well, either with a mesh and so on. This is the modern version of the burqa being uh, different. But I want to say to you, if you find the word burqa in classical texts, it and niqab are very, very similar. And even niqab, I want to say to you, that there is no necessarily condition that the eyes need to be showing. You know that in, classic, in the classical times, at some Sahaba, they used to have differing opinions on what kind of level of niqab was recommended. Okay? And some would have both eyes uncovered, and others would have one eye uncovered, and others would have both eyes covered. So there is just a, literally a, a thin mesh. Today, that would be used by the word burqa as a modern construct. So I just wanted to give you that history. And then the jilbab, another very interesting word, which is what you guys are calling jubba. As we said in the Quran, the word jilbab is indicating an overdress, an outer dress, going on top of what you already have. It's bigger, it's baggier, it's more modest uh, 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 in one's appearance. And we discussed last week that, um, in my personal opinion... I believe that it is acceptable within each culture to have a manifestation of Jilbah. And this is a very popular contemporary position. It's not very traditional. Traditional would be it's just big and flowing and so on and so forth. But I think that maybe certain dresses of certain people could cover for that. Meaning like a baggy coat, for example, or a baggy overdress, for example. But there's no (coughs) doubt that what we understand as the jubba, as you have in Malay, and, and what what Arabs and Pakistani kind of uh, Asian culture has as the Jilbab, which is the the same. Yeah, they like the Suhudi one or the black one, whatever. This is a safer and much more modest type of of dress. What you've seen now is that we've covered the whole aspects of the body and we didn't mention once the word Hijab. Okay? Because there's no such thing as a Hijab. Alright? As I've explained now many times and this will be my last time that I will explain, the word Hijab is exactly the same as the word Ihram. When we make, when we go for Hajj, we, uh, the men uh, specifically, we get these two cloths, we put them on and we say this is Ihram. Okay? And we put on Ihram. Actually, you haven't put anything on, you put two cloths on. There's no, there's no cloths which are called Ihram. There's no such thing as Ihram. Okay? We've called it Ihram because for us it's the obvious and external indication that I am in the state of Ihram. You see, ihram is a a, a state It's like a button which you switch on You say, I am now in ihram I am now making, I am now Intending umrah, switch on And that's it, I'm in the zone now, right I can't now swear, I can't speak bad I can't do this, I gotta be careful I should be making extra zikr, I should be making more dua I can't now harm this person I can't now uh, uh, hunt I can't now do, you know all of the restrictions Of ihram, and then I switch it off And then I'm free again That's why it's called tahallul, becoming halal again, All right, And in hajj you have a small tahallul and a major tahallul. Small tahallul allows you to have a shower and dress and get back to normal clothes. The major tahallul allows you to have marital relations and so on. So I want you to understand you're moving into a state of haram, and that's called, everything else is haram now, that's ihram, and then you move into the halal state. And because people can't see that in an obvious way, when you put on the white clothes, people know, right, things got real, you know what I'm saying, yeah? This is now serious and so they called it Ihram. They gave it the name. Hijab is exactly the same. Hijab is not a clothing. Hijab is a behavior. It's, you switch it on when you walk out the house. So what happens? Your behavior changes. The way you speak changes. The way you look at things and people changes. Now you're not at home when you're looking around and relaxing and, and you know talking to men and women freely because they are mahrams and looking and watching and touching and playing. No. Now you're outside, and the majority of the people you're going to come across are your non-mahram, they are people who are haram for you to be involved with, like you are at home. And so now you're in a state where your, your speech is now controlled, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indicates this in the Quran, they don't go around making lots of noise with their different, uh, you know, maybe they have bangles, maybe they have heels and so on and so forth. And they're going clickety-click, you know, all these kind of sounds and making all these kind of and wearing clothes which is attracting attention and showing skin etc, etc, etc. You're in a state um, and that's because people don't understand, this is why we have so many people who don't who are not wearing hijab. You'll find so many uh, Muslim women that wear a headscarf but they're wearing t-shirts for example, yeah? Or they're wearing headscarves and they're wearing like um, uh, 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 the tops which show the stomach or the whatever, you know, this kind of stuff, or tight trousers, etc., because for them hijab is hijab. But actually we're saying that no, hijab is the state, and you have a khimar on, and you have a baggy shirt on, and you have jilbab on, so those are the dresses. But as we said, what do the people do? The people associate a certain thing with the concept of hijab, and so they call that thing, which is the clothing, again, which is so very obvious, they gave it the name of the state. You understand? and so it became hijab. So, we need to understand that. That's very important to appreciate from a uh, uh, an urfi point of view. So, the khimar is what we're talking about, which is the headscarf. And the headscarf is called khimar, plural khumar, okay, because uh, uh, the same reason why khamar alcohol is called khamar, because it is that which covers something. The headscarf covers the head. Uh, khamar covers the aql, right? When you drink alcohol, you become intoxicated and your intellect is basically turned off. And because it subjugates it, it completely يعني, destroys it on top of it, dominates it, you're not able to think properly. So that's why it is called that. The ilama, they, differ, they differed over the permissibility of wiping, over the khimar for women. They, they differed over it. Why is that? Some of them said that it is not permissible because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded for the head to be wiped. Allah says, Allah said in Surah al verse 6 and wipe your heads, okay? And when you wipe over a khimar, what have you not done? You've not wiped over your head. And so the scholars said that there is no uh, 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 evidence to take away from the basic ruling that you have to wipe over your head. As for the others, they said وَقَالَ الْأَخَرُونَ the others said that no, it is something which is permissible, and the reason it is, is because we make Qiyas, which is analogy, upon the Imamah of the rajun, meaning the turban of the man. In fact, they said, not only do we make Qiyas, make analogy that the Prophet ﷺ did it upon his own Imamah, one, two, told the people who were going out to do it upon their own Imamah and Asaib, which means those things which are wrapped up, number two, but number three, he also narrated as, he, as, as, as it has been narrated authentically, that he used the word khimar, that he wiped over his own khimar. Hold on, does that mean that he's wearing a headscarf? The answer is Ibn al-Athir. And Ibn al-Athir, of course, is a very important uh, uh, alim. He's a specialist in language, especially language in the sunnah. Okay, And whenever we have some kind of difficulty in trying to understand a word which has an obvious literal meaning but is used in hadith lit- literature... We are always, going back to Ibn, uh, uh, Ibn Athir and his book uh, al Nihaya, which is a book which is uh, specializing in the strange words of Hadith. He has stated very clearly that al- Al-Khimar here means Imam. It means Imam. So in the language, even though the female form of the, of the actual clothing is used, it's referring to the male. But those that allowed this action, they said, well, hold on. We have a textual evidence there that allows women to use it. Number two, if we're allowing men to use it because it's difficult to take off and so on and so forth, then what about the women? That's even more difficult. And actually, maybe they need it even more uh, uh, times than men. Now, we're going to come to an interesting point here. Because, because, they said, Sheikh says, this is this is this is a uh, how can I what would you call it um, when you try and get away with something? I forgot the the, the, the phrase has uh, left my mind. Um, he said, "Listen, if there's some need, then it's no problem. If there's some need, if there's no problem. He, for example, if it's very very cold, and taking off the the hijab will cause some kind of problem, or because." It is wrapped up in a very unique way, and unwrapping it will cause some kind of issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then, for this reason, he goes no. He goes in this issue, there's no problem. He goes, but if there is no reason, he goes, and if there is no obvious reason, then it is better. It is better that she doesn't wipe over her. So we have to ask ourselves, why is that? And the answer is because, as he said, we have no authentic texts which clearly show, authentically clear texts, which show women wiping over their khimar. Now, I want to stop there and and, and, and think about this, okay? Um, The interesting point here, all right, Is that there is something from Um Salama radiallahu ta'ala alha and it is but it's not supremely authentic but it is sufficient and something which you can write down it is it is in the it is in the uh it is footnote number two in the notes and it's been narrated by Ibn Abi Shayba in in which book? If it's been narrated by Ibn Abi Shayba in which book is it referring to, anyone? For a bonus, for a bonus, uh for a bonus. Mm, I had one today and I don't know what it's called. Um, banana, which is uh, uh, fried. <laughs> <laughs> but a banana fritter, huh? But the Malaysian. No, what's that? That's the one, yeah. That one, yeah. Yeah? Okay, I took I took my own supply because they were nice, you know I'm saying? Yeah. So, a bonus one for someone who can tell me when we say Ibn where is he writing? No. His collection of narrations, uh, Ibn Abi Shaibah is unique because what he focuses on is not so much hadith, of course there are, but he focuses on the narrations of the companions and what they used to do, okay? Co- much more comp- a bigger combination. Whereas hadith collections, Sahih Jawami' like Jamil Sahih Ibn Bukhari, or like the Sunan, which is a different type of hadith collection, which is uh, uh, mostly built around books of fiqh. If you look at Sahih it is not a collection of hadith built around fiqh. There's fiqh inside, but you look, it's got aqidah, it's got tafsir, it's got the stories of the companions, it's got history. You know what I'm saying? It's a massive collection, which is called Jamir. Whereas the Sunan, in principle, they stick to the chapters of fiqh, chapter of purification, chapter of prayer, etc., etc., so, you have different types of compilation of the Sunnah, different types. You have the Mu'ajam, you have the Musnad, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and Abu Ya'la and so on. That's a whole different type of hadith collection because that is going by the, the asanid, by the chains to companions. So, it's all the hadith of Abu Bakr, all the hadith of Sayyidina Umar, all the hadith of Uthman, that's what a Musnad is. You have the Ma'ajim, the Mu'ajam, which is based upon in an alphabetical order, that's a different type of collection. This uh, one is called the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shaiba. and there are two, uh, two famous Musannafats, okay, the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shaiba and the Musannaf of Abdul Razak Al-San'ani. These are the two most famous Musannafats, and they're wonderful, wonderful books. So, it's like a treasure trove of trying to see what some of the companions used to do, and then some of the Tabi'een as well. And therefore, as we can see here, it has been narrated in the chapter of Purification, in the chapter of the woman wiping over her khimar, hadith number 249, with a chain which is good, on the authority of Al-Hassan al-Basri, uh, on the authority of Umm Salama, anha, and her canad, uh, that she used to wipe over her khimar. That she used to wipe over her khimar. And this has also been narrated, uh, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Bukhtar al also uses this narration. So I just want... Um, Uh, uh, Ali ibn al-Madini Anyone know who Ali ibn al-Madini is? Anyone want to have a guess? Protect his house students? Ali ibn al-Madini was the teacher of Imam al-Bukhari Okay, he's the sheikh of Imam al-Bukhari Okay, he's from the major, major Muhaddithin And he's the top, behind friend Companion of Who? Think of today's lesson. Think of today's lesson. Today's lesson is a clue. Is a clue. Alright? Think. think. <laughs> I, I heard a really funny answer just there. I just heard Sheikh And <laughs> <laughs> It said he's the he's the Sheikh of Imam al-Bukhari. So he was not Sheikh El-Taymin's companion. So so we're talking about the Sheikh of, 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 of Al-Bukhari. And I said he was the top friend, top companion of who? And the clue is, all I'm saying is today's lesson. So think yani, outside the box. Yani, you're, you're obviously having to discard 99% of the names. <coughs> there can only rationally be one name. What is today's lesson? Huh? Huh? (laughs) Today's lesson is a fiqh lesson. We're going through a text called Zad al Mustaqni, which is written by a man called Imam al Hajjawi. Carry on, carry on, carry on. Correct, which is the fiqh of the Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Ahmed bin Hanbal's best friend or one of his best friends was Ali bin Madini that is that generation of course, okay Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, the fourth Imam, him and Ali bin Madini, like that Uh, he said Ali bin Madini, and these these, of course, there's a very small group if you guys remember back to our previous lessons when we started talking about the difference between uh, ulama, many, scholars are many, but then you have specific titles which are very high quality muhaditheen means the people who are specialists in hadith but there's a higher status, anyone remember that? No question. Is that a problem for us? I mean, the narration says that Hassan al-Basri said that Um Salama used to wipe over her khimar. Maybe he saw that happen. Unlikely, to be honest. Maybe someone else told him. He hasn't mentioned that. That's not good enough. Therefore, we can't say that's authentic. Maybe he heard that from her, saying that I used to I wipe over my khimar right. If you've told me that, then when I go to my students and I say, it's allowed to wipe over your, your khimar. Um Salama used to wipe over her khimar. Do you understand? Meaning that all of the options are open when I say that Um Salama used to, I could have seen it, heard everything. So I want to say to you that Ali ibn al statement is a very useful one from an ilmi point of view. He saw her but didn't listen to her. But it doesn't give us any hadith. We don't. It's a very different society than what it is today than what was back then it's right now okay the male role and the female role you female has always is made around her home everything all right when i say everything i mean she doesn't have to wear hijab she can speak and and do as she wants and dress as she wants and relax and do everything that she would like yes no restrictions all right or very few restrictions and uh, her salah, which is the major thing that one would need to go out for, okay, is better for her at home. Noss. Yani Nabi sallallahu said, and he didn't say that for the man. In fact, he insisted. In fact, some scholars said, obligated, as the Hanabullah have said, and as Ibn Taymiyyah said, and as Ibn Hazm said, obligated for men to go out the house and pray. A man who says, that's why we say, a man who prays at home is nothing more than a woman. Okay, he's not being a man. If you're, a man, if you're married to a man who doesn't pray in a masjid, he's not a real man. Fact. Absolute fact. I, I know it's funny, it's a joke, whatever. But uh, but any man who doesn't pray in a masjid is not a man. Whatever criteria you're using for manhood and hard and strong and handsome and chivalry and whatever, it's a lot of a that is, I'm telling you. The number one priority for a man is that he's got to be praying in a masjid. The second priority for the man is that he needs to be a working man. And most men who are working, and certainly before, is always outside. It's only in the modern era that work happens inside the home. Yeah, on a computer, right? The majority of time has always been that a man is outside. These are the two characteristics. Whether that is sexist or gender discriminatory or whatever it is, it is what it is. As for the woman, she's not obligated to work. She's obligated to be supported. She's not required to go outside. She has a number of concessions for other people to do that for her. When certain certain things happen, she's required to stay at home in an obligatory sense, such as the idda and so on and so forth. When she's at home in the voluntary sense, she's encouraged to stay at home. She's encouraged. You will see that you will not see in the Sharia evidences that encourage women to be outside. Even for, I mean, and you'll see little things here and there that will gl- give you glimpses of this theory. Like look at the Eid prayer. The Eid prayer is very interesting. The Eid prayer, has, if you, if you study it, where is the Eid prayer prayed? Not in a masjid, right? And that is in order, one of the reasons is in order to make it and facilitate it for women to come. Because in general, the women, as a majority opinion is, they don't come to the masjid when they're menstruating. Likewise, when you see the women praying outside, not only are they facilitated from a point of view of actually being allowed to attend without any problems... <coughs> But also, the Prophet said that those who don't even have clothes for outside, then lend them clothes as well. What does that suggest to you? That women are not going out all the time. It's not the done thing that women are out and this and that and so on and so forth. It's not. There's a difference between saying it's haram. No one is saying that. And a difference between what's the done thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so if the Prophet says that the prayer of the woman is, uh, is best in the... فِي قَعْرْ بُيُوتِهِنْ Meaning in the inner, not even on the outer, the innermost parts of the house, so not like the bedroom which is one window, but rather the room removed from the, the bedroom because that's more innermost. I, you understand now what I mean when I say a woman is the, a, a creature of the interior, the internal. Some cultures go to another extreme. <laughs> My culture definitely, yeah? Right? Patan culture has lost the plot when it comes to this issue. Okay? Right? Uh... So much so, I was thinking about this, and this, I've talked about this before, um, and maybe you can even extend it to pack culture as well, just a, from Patan to pack culture as well. We call our women, Ora, uh, 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 Orat. Right? Orat. Which is basically the pack version of Aura. And the word Aura is what? What does it mean? That it, which is not permissible to be displayed. You're not, it's not allowed for you to display your aura to anyone. Meaning our culture has actually labeled women as those which are not displayed at all. Can you see how, yani, so I'm saying that of course religion provides a spark and a the culture then takes it and then molds it, isn't it? And depending upon the makeup of that culture, whether it's in a hot region, cold region, whether the people are easygoing or not. Because weather and climate plays a lot on how people are. I mean, this has been difficult. It's always difficult for me when I come to Malaysia because I end up having to do things which I really dislike doing, like smiling a lot, yeah? Right? And I hate smiling. I'm not a natural smiler. I can't smile. When people ask me to take a picture, it's horrible. I have to go like that, yeah? And I can't smile. I hate... I love laughing because laughing is just... You don't care what's happening. <laughs> yeah? It doesn't matter what's on the face. But smiling is a real... You're either good at it and it comes natural or it's horrible. And, and you know what? It's... That's how we are, man. It's cold in the UK. It's raining all the time. Yeah? In Malaysia, when it rains, it rains like the whole heavens open. And you think you're about to dr- drown. But one hour later, it's all gone. And the floor is all dry. And everyone's like, you know, what happened? Nothing happened, right? Okay? In Manchester, it will rain. And it will make sure that it knows, it lets you know it's been raining. So that for the next week, yeah, and it will go on and you know that it's still raining. So obviously... And I remember I was with the, one of my friends, uh, um, uh, Yahya Ibrahim, he's from the States and he's from, and from Australia and he's on the kind of coastal region. Honestly, honestly, uh, Muhammad faqi will come soon, okay, for own Fest, alright. You look at people who are from West Coast and coastal regions and nice temperature and this and that, wallahi, they're more easygoing than other people. Honestly, it's, it's, in, their, it's in their makeup. And, so, and difficulty of life, modernity, cost, economics and society. All of these are, affect people's culture. And everyone's culture then has specific values, but they all have a core. And the Muslims have lots of different cultures, but at the core there's something religious which gives some basis. Now often it's going to be messed up and abused by those people, but at, at, at its base level there's something there. So I just want to say that, uh, if, I hope you understand that all the rulings that are concerned for uh, men and women <coughs> of uh, going back to a time where the culture was very clear, today's culture doesn't allow us to see it so easily. So when we say that, you know I said to you, hold on, if we're going to allow a man to wipe over the, the, the turban, surely we should allow the woman because it's more difficult for her. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because there's so many women working outside and a woman cannot even, like a man can, at least takes the turban off, no problem. But a woman, if she's in a bathroom or some other area, at work, and her she can't do that. She can't take her hijab in front of a colleague. So she has a, more, a greater problem. But we've got to stop there and ask ourselves, who created that problem? What is a woman doing in that scenario anyway? Why is she working outside anyway? Why is she in a mixed environment anyway? This would never have happened back in the day. It would not have been an issue. So, we've, so if we, we, so society has gone on. Modernity has taken over. Uh, men are as useless as they always have been. All right? Women have had to now do the dual role, which is to take care of the people at home and then also work and, and, and support the family because men aren't doing it, right? And so therefore, that's why I said as I say, this is not a discussion about the haram or haram or halalness of, of men, of women working because it's halal, there's no doubt about it. But is it the done thing? Should it be the done thing? No, it wasn't the done thing and neither should it be the done thing. But if it is done, then they've created their own problem, right? They're in an environment... Where the old previous women were never used to be, or, or much less used to be. Still, still, the point is, as Sheikh wants to make, that there is no authentic evidence that shows women to be wiping over their khimar. So he therefore concludes that even that it's permissible for someone who has a need. But if you don't have a need, then we will, we're not go- Then it's best to avoid it. What do I want to say? What the class position is. What do I want to tell you as a message to all all the students. I want to say to you that it is permissible for a woman to wipe over her headscarf. It is best that she avoids it unless it's really necessary. And that's it. That's what I want to say. It is permissible. I think it should be avoided. I think it should be avoided much more than a man who has a turban, who also I don't think should be wiping over his uh, uh, turban if it can come off. But just generally, if it's something which you need to do, then fine. And I say this because I'm very much well aware that there are many good sisters who are working outside and need all the help that they can get. When it comes to you know surviving out there, many of them are not there are a choice, and they have to be there for X, Y, Z reason. And so I believe that if you are in a situation where there's colleagues and so on and so forth, then it's permissible. I do want to say to you though that don't think that this is some automatic Yani you know solution, because if you're worried about making wudu and you need a concession to uncover your hijab then how are you washing your arms, right? How are you washing your feet? Okay, you're you're wiping. If you're wiping, I told you last week, I'm not Yeah, you're having this nonsense of wiping over stockings and tights, yeah? Which are this thin, right? There's got to be some kind of thickness to it, yeah? So I'm still saying that even us saying that go ahead and wipe over your khimar is not exactly giving you lots of concession at work. The work situation is still a difficult one and you shouldn't, you know, need to try and change that And that requires a whole society shift. It requires men to step up, which they're not. And uh, so, uh, there's that. And just to finish off, um, just a few more minutes before we close. Sheikh Amin he also just wants to mention something else about women. Uh, Henna, meaning henna. (gasps) Henna? Yeah, what do you guys call it? Henna, yeah. So, if you have that, and I mean mean in its gun form, meaning its finished form, and the mud form. The beginning part all right okay and gel and x and y okay anything which is on the head it can be wiped over because that which is attached to the head takes the ruling of the head as shaykh thameen here says and the nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam he also used to wipe over يعني, okay he would have talbid talbid. I think the closest thing to Talbid is wax. You know, ha- hair styling wax? Okay? The Prophet ﷺ used to... The Arab at that time, they used to put this kind of wax on their hair, which is probably for health reasons or whatever. I don't know what the actual reasons were, but it was for styling and it was for healthiness and X, Y, Z. So, the Prophet ﷺ never used to remove it. The wipe, And as we talked about when we covered wiping, wiping is different from washing. In washing, you've got to make sure all the hair is wet, etc. But in wiping, it's just very damp hands, which are being just, you know, nothing, nothing getting soaked. Not every hair is getting wet. And it's not a condition either. So there's no problem having something like that on. So it's just, that that has just been mentioned by Shekhot Amin, that if there are any women or men that have this kind of thing on their hair, it is permissible. They do not need to remove that, okay? And what Sheikh Amin says, he goes that, um, this indicates this Prophet Wiping over the head with the talbid, the stick kind of gel, the thick kind of gum, honey based gum. This talbid used to be based on honey as well, quite a bit. Thick honey. Honey, you know, was used very much for all medicinal purposes and health purposes back then as well. Um, what Sheikh says, he goes, what well, all this indicates is that there's a lot of ease in the issue when it comes to wiping over the, the, the purification of the head. The purification of the head. You don't have to wash it. You, you, you only have to wipe it. And when it comes to wiping, we're easy, not all of it. And when it comes to the wiping, even the part of it, not thoroughly, completely, things can be there or not. And when it comes to the issues where you can't even get to the head, we'll allow you to wipe over something covering the head if there's a need. So you can see that Sheikh wants to try and make it clear that there's a difference between the concept of wiping over the head and headgear and wiping over the socks or other parts of the body. They're two kind of different Uh, 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 concepts and what Sheikh Uthameen also mentions he goes and from this point we also recognise you know women wear that kind of stuff in their hair jewellery what's that called? crown I'm not talking about a crown (laughs) you know that kind of like they wear this kind of like bracelet in their hair tiara tiara yeah yeah but I don't think tiara is a bit grand I mean what about on a day to day basis Nothing? <laughs> hairband. Okay, alright. Hairband was not my intention, but that's a really good example, Subhanallah, because I never thought of that. Alright? So Sheikh Fatimin is saying that those people who have hairbands and the like, okay, also do not need to remove that jewelry. So I'm saying, likewise, if you have a hairband, you don't need to remove it either. Alright? Okay? That's the top position of this class. That when you wipe your hair, the woman wipes her hair, if she has a few of those, you know, ponies or clips or whatever they're called, just the general, no problem. If it's it's something which restricts it because it's sticking up, no problem, just go up to it and then the rest of it. Because the whole entire head is not the actual aim behind that. Okay, folks? And the Prophet ﷺ, we know that he there's no evidence to show that he would remove his ring when he uh, washed his uh, hands. And we know that as someone who doesn't move their ring, it's guaranteed that not all of the entire skin is going to be washed. And so for that reason, we can say that uh, 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 the evidence is there. The evidence is there to suggest that uh, the entire skin is not something which is required. So, I think we're going to close it there because it's time for Salah. Um, maybe we'll take some questions uh, on this afterwards. Jazakumullahu khaira. Subhanakallahu. Alhamdulillah. wa Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Wassalamu <laughs> alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.